Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. the boys and girl in white and blue and we are back with another episode of there's still time the AFTN soccer show broadcasting on CITR radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia I'm your host Michael McCall and by popular demand I'm joined once again by Harjit Jahal I'm back. I'm making another special appearance. Thanks for having me on, Michael. Thanks for all the support, all the listeners out there who enjoyed the last podcast. I decided to pop back in. Yeah, you went down really well the last time. Uh, Comments like, much better than Steve and Zach. Don't let them come back on the show. Admittedly, though, that was you that sent that. Much better looking as well. I See, I was going to go down that road and I thought I'll get tagged as being a sexist right off the bat. So I won't go down that road, but... Let's be honest, there's no arguing with that fact. So, we'll apologise from the get-go as well. You might hear some noise in the background on my side because just as soon as we've started doing this, it's been quiet here all morning. And then my gardeners have arrived and it's very noisy out there. Well, I say my gardeners. It's the, the townhouse complex's gardeners. But I like to think of them as my gardeners here at AFT and Towers. We're very posh. But anyway, we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to... Chat about Whitecaps has been two matches since our last show. We're going to look at the absolute shambles that is Canadian soccer and the CSA right now. What a week of statements. It seems that everything's getting done by statements just now. And then we're going to round things off with a a chat about some women's soccer. We're going to talk about the CONCACAF qualifiers that are on just now. Canada's in action there. A little bit of League One BC. I've got some audio to bring you from that. But we're going to kick things off in this part. By focusing on the Whitecaps, two games in the book since we did the last show. Only one point to show for it, but in the grand scheme of things, that could be one of the best points that that the Whitecaps have got all season, uh, I feel. We'll get into the injuries, we'll get into the matches. We'll just do a little bit of a brief recap first of the game at the weekend against Minnesota. It was kind of a game to forget. It was another first half to forget her. It, it does seem that all the games that BC plays, you just need to turn up for the second half this year because there's not much happening in that first 45 minutes. Yeah, another uh, home match at BC plays for the Whitecaps where they did not have a shot on target in the first half. And, you know, this time against Minnesota, it came back to bite them because they came back and scored three on the Whitecaps after Vancouver scored. Uh, Lucas Cavallini got them the lead and, 
it kind of had a lull defensively and boom, boom, boom. Minnesota's put three past Cody proper. He was kind of hung out to dry. I thought there was defensive breakdowns, a lack of coverage, a bit of scrambling play. And then you had that ball over the top by James St. Clair. So uh, a calamity of errors. And so not a great second half stretch there when Minnesota scored. Uh, I thought, you know, they had an opportunity to go in and get some points because they had talked about it being a six point game. Both teams were tied in the standings with the exact same record. And so uh, they played well, but they just didn't play good enough. And you need to play better against uh, one of your rivals in the uh, Western Conference as you're fighting for a playoff spot. So a zero points, not good enough. We'll have to see how they do next time they're at home. Yeah, I, I think whenever you lose a goal where a goalkeeper gets the assist, it doesn't look good. But like dropping points at home is n- never good at the best of times. Dropping all three, though, as you say, to the team that you're battling potentially for, who knows how things will play out. It could be battling for the last playoff place come the, the end of the season. But you're losing to a conference rival. That win for Minnesota vaulted them into the playoff places. That's where they, they still are as we're recording this on Thursday. And it was a tough one for the Whitecaps because they took the lead. And Lucas Cavallini coming on, being super sub getting his sixth goal of the season, equaling his career best as a white cap as well, still with 14 games to go. So you have to feel that this is going to be Cavs' best season as a white cap. I'd like to say, though, that I think the injuries for the white caps in that game against Minnesota played a big part because you had Andres Kubas had to leave at halftime. Marcus Godinho had an injury, a knee. He had to leave, so kind of altered Vanny Sarcini's, I guess, substitutions and the way you approach that second half because you've got to fill those spots. And, you know, Andres Kubas has been an engine in that midfield. He's linked up really well with his teammates. He scored a match winner. He's getting tackles. He's winning balls back. So not having him played a huge role in the loss, I think it kind of showed what we saw earlier in the season when they were missing that kind of player presence in the midfield that kind of took us back to some kind of defensive errors the first part of the season. So hopefully he's not out too long. And he didn't play against FC Cincinnati. He didn't travel. So we've got Portland coming up at the weekend. So we'll see if he can get back in Gadinho and the rest of the injured Whitecaps. Yeah, let, let's get into the injuries. Because in all my years of covering football here back in Scotland... You've had injury spells and the Whitecaps have had times where they've been hit hard with injuries. There was the time when most of their centre-backs kept getting injured and now we had the goalkeepers in the past, we've got the goalkeepers again. This just seems like never getting better and it it does kind of feel at this point that we're not going to get a run this year where the Whitecaps and Vanny Sartini can actually get his best of living on the pitch. I mean, what do you put that down to? Is it just bad luck? Is it just overtraining? Is it just a combination of factors? Ben has been asked a few times uh, this week if he's uh, if he thinks the team is cursed. So he doesn't think the team is cursed. He mentioned he's an atheist. So no curses, no voodoos, no hexes. But right now they've got 11 players who are out. We don't know who's going to be able to come back to play against Portland. You know, I made a starting 11 out of all the players that are out. You put you put uh, one of the goalkeepers out uh, play maybe on defense. But yeah, 
11 guys, some of them are long-term. We're not going to see Gutierrez, Bearhalter, Caicedo. Uh, we don't know about the two goalkeepers, uh, Javane Brown, uh, Awusu. So that's that's question mark. They've got to get some of these guys back. I think they will get some of them back soon. We just don't know how long they can stay healthy. A lot of fans and readers have questioned whether playing at BC Place, if the turf is to blame for all these injuries and the uptick. You know, I don't know that it's fully to blame or it should take a lot of the brunt of the criticism, but they're training on grass at UBC. Then you go and play on turf at BC Place. So there's kind of like a, you got to adjust to this, then you got to go play here, then you got to go play on the road. So that can take a bit of a toll on the body physically. It's not to blame for everything, but, you know, that's something as to why they don't train at BC Place. They're out at UBC. Obviously, oh, yeah. they have everything. They have everything set up at UBC, so that helps as well. But it's just a bad luck with concussions, with injuries. So hopefully they can get some guys back. And we were there at practice on Tuesday when Leo Owusu inadvertently took a boot to the face. And so, you know, that's just a fluke injury. You're about to leave to go to Cincinnati and you have a player, you know, needs to be carted off the field. So some of it's bad luck, some of it's, you know, a lot of games coming quick and fast, so hopefully they can get some guys back. You know, they're not going to stay injured for the whole season. They have to have some some better luck going forward, I think. Well, you'd hope so. And, like, it's easy to blame the turf, but you look around the league and there's a number of teams playing turf. Seattle, Portland, they don't get hit with all these injuries. So, I mean, you can't just blame the, the turf for that. And, like, Leo getting kicked in the face at training, it's like, again... You, nothing to do with the, the turf it's just bad luck but then even in the the games like that Kubis injury at the weekend for the team to fall apart as much as they did with just that one key player going off I know Godinho went off as well but I mean it you notice the difference that Kubis made and we spoke last week we were like glowingly praising what Kubis brings to this team and initially they thought it was a groin now it's a, an adductor strain and we've seen other players with that over the, the years and sometimes that is one of those injuries that can just be a niggling thing and it just lingers and big, big blow. If, if the Whitecaps don't have him, I just don't feel we've got players in the midfield that can step up and do what he does for this team. No, they certainly do not. Not only that, they're injured. you got Bear Halter out, you got Owusu, Kubas... I think that's one of the reasons why Kyle was able to come in off the bench. You have uh, Florian playing up next to Russell Tybert. So uh, a bit of a shifting to get players to fill in for those roles. Next man up. Obviously, those players have to take their opportunities. So a lot of injuries in the midfield. We'll see who they can match together for Sunday. Uh, I don't know what combination Vanny's going to have to go with. Maybe it's just going to be who's healthy he can play out there. Yeah, and... Before we get into the Cincinnati match itself and the goal side of it, let's talk about the injuries in that one because I wasn't watching the game live. I was out commentating uh, League One BC at a Whitecaps game with TSS Whitecaps. Two absolutely fantastic games at Swan Garden Wednesday night. But we were keeping an eye on the game and then we'd heard that there was a, a collision coming together and that Brown had to go off and his eye was basically swollen shut and then Cropper, of course, was replaced at halftime. So that's what I'd heard. And I thought, oh, that sounds bad. And then when I got home and watched it, 
I, I watched it once and I couldn't watch the replays because the way Cody Cropper landed on his head and his neck, that was horrific. It's like I've seen wrestlers land in the ring like that and they've broken their neck. I genuinely have no idea how Cropper did not break his neck there. That just looked absolutely horrendous. Yeah, it was a really scary incident for both Javane and Cody. You know, Col- Cody went right up in the air. He came straight down on his head, his neck. And so At we were also- as well. Yeah, like- it's like really, really awful. We were surprised that Cody was able to stay in the game. But Javane was helped off by the training staff, medical staff. Right away, he had the towel up on his eye. His eyes were swollen up. Yeah. So fast, so quickly. It looked like and, a boxer that had just yeah. gone like 10 rounds and had been battered to hell. And Yeah, so, the, you know, they had to make those substitutions. Obviously, they didn't want to make them. They had to make them due to injury. Uh, Cody stayed in, but then Vanny said after the game that, you know, maybe he wasn't doing too so, doing so well. And obviously, out of precaution, you don't want anything worse to happen. So Isaac came in. So, you know, by the end of the game, they got 11 guys out. So... Hopefully they have a, a speedy recovery and they're they're back on the pitch soon. But yeah, that was really awful. The photos looked bad. The video looked bad. The crowd was quiet. They were, I think they were chanting Cody's name. So. Yeah, I was gonna say like yeah. full credit to the Cincinnati fans. Like massive respect for them. They were great with Cody. They were silent. They weren't like booing like you get in a lot of games to get on with the game and probably helped that they were 2-1 up at that point but then they were chatting Cody's name afterwards and he gave them the thumbs up thought that was really classy and well done to the Cincinnati fans for that but Brown was officially a concussion substitution wasn't it? Protocol Yeah. We have to get the wording right. Yes. So Cropper as well I don't think he was I think it was more just precautionary as you've said. Yeah he said he Fanny wasn't sure if he had a concussion. He didn't want to say he had a concussion. You know, they're just observing him. Obviously, uh, Thursday was off day for the players. So, you know, they got a long flight home. They got back at quarter to two in the morning. So some players will be at the facility on Thursday getting treatment. And then they're back training Friday, Saturday. So we'll see how they do. Maybe get a good night's sleep and see if they're recovering. But with concussions, I know Leo Owusu is in protocol right now. And so... We'll see how he does. You can't rush that. You've got to, you know, clear it, not have any symptoms. There's there's testing that they have to all go through. So we'll see who can clear it fastest and who can get back healthy, of course, because we don't want another concussion for any other players. I mean, that's the thing as well. We talk about all the injuries, the amount of concussions on, on this team as well this year. I don't remember any team having that amount of concussions, which is good because it, it, well, it's not good, but it's good that it's raising the awareness and there are a lot more clued in on that. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they are okay. Obviously, we're not doctors. I just like to, to play one in the bedroom for Caitlin. That's a whole other thing that we won't go into. But yeah, we're, we're not doctors here, so we don't know what's happening. We haven't had any updates at the, the time of recording this. I mean, I'd be stunned if Cropper starts down in Portland. I mean, he might be okay. The thing with concussions, though, sometimes it can take a couple of days for things to show up. So I was stunned he stayed on the pitch, so you yeah. never know. I mean, I, I was as well, and it's just good that it, it isn't anything worse, and hopefully his neck and everything is okay. But let's talk about Isaac Bomer, young lad that came in. And I, I'll be honest, I've been critical of, of Bomer's performances last season. He, he didn't exactly light it up when he went away with Pacific 
But to his credit, he was brought back this year. He put in a good couple of performances in pre-season. And the Blues versus White game at BC Place, he was excellent in that. Had a, a couple of big saves. Had some good outings with WFC too. And I think getting that run of games and getting those competitive games on his belt has really helped him. And it's helped him become a better goalkeeper. And obviously working with Youssef and the, the goalkeeping team at the Whitecaps, he's a confident guy. A lot of these young goalkeepers are. They're, they're confident, they've got that belief. And you have to if, if you're a goalkeeper. But he dealt with everything that, that was thrown at him. And you've got to think, this is a 20-year-old guy who's never played an MLS minute. He's all of a sudden thrown in cold at half-time in front of a crowd of rabid FC Cincinnati fans and comes up with a couple of saves, keeps the clean sheet. That must do so much for his confidence. But, like, big up to, to Bomer. He did excellent out there. Yeah, Isaac was fantastic. He made uh, several key saves after he came on. Now, they don't give that point in Cincinnati unless Isaac makes those saves. You know, that he had that one big save later that led to the the toss Ricketts uh, pass to set up Christian DeHolm before the tying goal. You know, they don't they don't have that if he doesn't start to play, get it going, you know, make that save. His confidence, like you mentioned, it has got to be buzzing right now. If he has to play on Sunday, you, you have to feel good that he can build off this performance in Cincinnati and go and help the team get a result. He's only 20. You know, he's, he's not had a lot of experience as a professional goalkeeper, but I have to say he's getting, you know, the second reps, he's getting a lot of reps in training because Thomas Asal has been out since early May. So that's, you know, two and a half months where he's the second goalie. He's going on all the trips. He's the backup for all these games. So he's getting an opportunity to be, with the first team, maybe more so than he would if Thomas Hassall was uh, fully fit. So that's an opportunity. And we know he he loves his country music, so I'm sure he's blasting all those songs about trucks and beers and girls right now. Yeah, I have to have a word with him about his, his musical taste, I, I think. But, I mean, one thing you can say about the Whitecaps over the years, and I was saying this on our commentary in League One BC last night, because the... The, the keeper that the, the young under-19 side have there just now, Marshall Herald, he's another great keeper that's coming through the system. And the Whitecaps, it's just a conveyor belt of top homegrown goalkeeping talent. And you've got Bomer, Ben Alexander, Max Anker, Marshall Herald, Herald, I can't even say his name. Um, Harrison Goff's another one. He's off to, to college as well. And you look at the other guys that's come through in the past, like Carducci and Irving and... It's fantastic that they do this, and it's one of those positions that you only get your opportunities in the first team if there's injury or suspension. And I mean, this is a chance for Bomer to, to seize that and show that he he's worthy of being in the conversation. It's going to be interesting when all four keepers are fit. Just to, the battle we talked last week, it's still for me, it is Cody Cropper, but... Now that Cropper's had this potential injury, how that's going to play out. But let's get into the, the game in Cincinnati. The Whitecaps in the first half of matches are pretty poor. On the road, though, they seem to be getting goals. We, we've seen it in Dallas. We, we saw it in Cincinnati. And the fighting spirit that this team shows, home or away, is absolutely tremendous just now. They just don't let their heads go down. They fought back twice in this game because when Cincinnati took that early lead, 
I was a little bit worried how that was going to go. But this is a Cincinnati team that, although they're scoring a lot of goals, they're also giving up a lot of goals. Yeah, right away, you know, Vancouver allows a goal, then Cincinnati allows a goal. I mean, both teams started out with shambolic defending there. And so we thought it was going to be like a barn burner, maybe like a 4-3, 3-3, something crazy. But then, you know, it settled down in the second half. Vancouver was able to get the tying goal. Uh, yeah, it's another game where the second half is when they, they flip the switch and when they get the points, they play a lot better. In the second half, we still don't know why. If you do, maybe you can tell Vanny and help him out. But yeah, the first halves are, are slow. We've been saying, you know, for the last couple of weeks, they need to score more goals in the first half. And they did, but you don't want to allow two goals. So it was well, a great the, yeah. pass from Dahomey to set up Ryan Gold. I mean, that was a perfect pass tap in. Beautiful play. And so it was a clumsy looking yeah. goal, but they the all goal. count at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. And if you watch Sarita's tweet afterwards, Great stuff from from Ryan. His true Scottishness came out with his expletives. He's just a he's just a happy lad. But the goals that they gave up, it's they're just it's, bad. They were yeah. so bad, so bad. The, I the still last don't couple know of what games. Eric, what is what was Eric Godoy doing? I still don't know what Eric Godoy was doing. Who was he covering? No wonder he got subbed out in the second half. Well, I mean, it doesn't seem to matter who is in that back line. They're all they're giving up goals like. Nerwinski, your your good friend, Jake Nerwinski, has been burned for a couple of goals this year. That third goal against Minnesota, where he ended up on his ass, it's just he was like just twisted inside and out. Ranko's had some mistakes. Godoy. I mean, in his defence, it was his first game back in more than a month. And we know how solid a player he is. But he that first goal, I don't know what he was doing on it. He just stood off... We've been giving up so many shots where players just waltz through the defence and then just bury it past the keeper. And that can't continue. Yeah, it kind of, you know, gets around Florian, who said they would win in Cincinnati. Then Godoy doesn't close down and he has a great shot on goal, scores. He barrels it home. The second second goal, again, short shot, short, short side. You know, that can't go in, so that's not... That's not good. So they have the breakdowns defensively. Usually they don't recover. They got a point. So that was good. But you cannot do this. You cannot switch off for a little bit moment here, a little bit moment there, and then expect to come back in the second half and get a result. You know, I would say that they started the game, you know, after the third minute. You got to start from the first whistle. So we'll see how they do in Portland. And then they got to get points. You know, you can't fall behind in the playoff race. You know, wins. You got to get wins. Well, I mean, if you look at the team just now, yeah, they're out of the, the, the top seven just now, but they're just two points down from the line. And considering what this team has gone through, considering all the injuries that, that they've had over the year, to be sitting 10th, two points back in the playoff line at this stage, I think it's tremendous. And they deserve a lot of credit for that. They're still hanging in there. And I, I keep saying this, it's like a broken record, but if they can get everyone healthy, there's a great team here that can make a, a big run. They just have to keep in there or thereabouts until they can try and get healthy, if they get healthy, and, and try and make a, a late run. But at, at this stage, I think Vanny and the players deserve a lot of credit for still being in the mix right now. No, I wouldn't say tremendous, Michael. That's a long word with a lot of letters. I would say it's good. It's decent. They dug themselves a hole. 
in the first half of the season. They're trying to dig themselves out to get back into the playoff race. So they're in good position. They're in striking distance. And so they have 14 games left. So they have an opportunity to get into a playoff spot. But they've got to, you know, string together consistent results. Go on one of those runs, what they did last season. And just barnstorm everyone, you know, get points and climb into the playoff race. Because there's a lot of teams. There's a bottleneck. There's lots of teams fighting for positions. So you can't afford to go you know, two or three games and maybe not get a win. So they're in good position. Give them credit for finding a way to get back into the playoff race. But we need to see more consistent results. We need to see picking up points. Yeah, they've got a lot of guys out, but other teams have no suspensions and injuries too. It's a long season. So you're going to go through ups and downs and we'll see if they can find that uh, Sartini magic there and get into the playoffs. Yeah, 14 games to go. Some of the teams above them, some of them below them have a game in hand now because they weren't playing at the weekend. A a lot, or midweek, a lot of the results kind of went in the Whitecaps' favour though midweek as well. But that's the thing. It's so much parity in the West this year that any team that strings a couple of good results together is going to go up. Any team that strings a couple of bad results together is going to go down. And whereas I'm talking about the Cincinnati point is maybe one of their best points that they've got all year, all things considered, if they go to Portland on Sunday and don't take anything from that, you've taken one from a possible nine. And then it's not looking so good. You do have Chicago then coming up, which I would have said would have been a a guaranteed win, but having watched the highlights of their game against Toronto last night, maybe they're starting to turn the corner and find a little bit of form as well. It's so close just now. And we, we... we spoke that that Minnesota game, it was a six-pointer, and Minnesota got the best of it. This Portland game, you can also argue, is a six-pointer as well. They're on 26. They just went to Seattle and t- took them apart at the weekend. That was a really good performance from Portland. If the Whitecaps can go down the I-5 and even get a point in Portland, I just think that's a fantastic result. I think this Portland game is a, a match that Vanny, the players have had circled, on their iPhone calendars for a long time because, you know, they came into Vancouver and they won last year with Vanny at the helm. They came in this year and won in Vancouver. So, you know, they want to go down in Portland and show that, you know, they can get a clean sheet, they can get those voodoo donuts and they can come back with a result because Portland's still a rival. They haven't played well against Seattle, so they have to take points off Portland. You know, they're going to be in a race with them to make the playoffs. So, they have to at least get a draw. You know, a win obviously would be fantastic, but you need to come away with a result. Uh, yeah, it's going to be tough. We'll see uh, how both teams do. Portland's always a tough place to play, and so it's going to be cracking. Well, it's going to be a, a very hot temperature down there, even though if it is a nighttime game, it's going to be a, a full house as well. I mean, you mentioned Voodoo Donuts. They're okay. Blue Star Donuts is the the one that you want to really go to that's the that's the locals choice the they go there more than voodoo voodoo's for all the tourists and you hope that the white caps will be blue stars but by the end of that 90 minutes it's just hard to see them i mean if they can go down and take a point from that fair play to them because you have to wonder who's even going to be on the pitch just now Surely, if they can't get the guys healthy that that are out, and some of them you know that they're definitely not going to be, they're going to have to look at WFC2 and maybe some call-ups from there. But then they're down there 
playing a game on Saturday as well. So at least they're going to be down there if they do want to do the call-ups. Yeah, um, we'll see who they have to call up for FC2. Maybe a goalkeeper, maybe uh, another player yeah, that we I don't think know yet. Max Anker, uh, if Cody's not good to go and Isaac's starting, Max Anker's going to be the guy that's going to going to be there. At least the under-19s aren't playing, so they could also take Marshall Herald down possibly there as well. I think it depends on what positional need you have. Obviously, you know, striker, maybe not so much, but maybe midfield and defence, you maybe need to call someone up. So we'll have to see how they do with training, how many guys they bring down, do they travel down there together? Uh, we'll see. Yeah, training on Friday and Saturday is going to be very interesting, just how many players they actually can get out on that pitch and it's, it's going to probably dictate how Vanny plays my concern is the middle of the park because I just don't feel that we we've got what it takes in the middle of the park to battle a team like Portland there so what do you do, do I got a, an interesting um, email this morning from one of our regular listeners Rob Townsend who said that Vanny seems to have gone for the a new donut formation where there's a big missing bit in the middle of the park which is the midfield maybe that is how to get past Portland just don't bother with the midfield just play ugly football long balls over the top route one football I know folk don't like that in the modern game but it is effective at times just get Lucas Cavallini bustling around He he's one yellow card away from his high of seven with the the Whitecaps from 2020, so maybe he'll match that with 13 games to go. Yes, Lucas Cavallini and yellow cards. Do not get me started. I think we could see Florian slide up there in the, the midfield spot because we've seen him play defensive midfielder uh, earlier in the season. Well, he's got a bit of bite to him, at Yeah, least. some really good results earlier when they had him up there, but then was it the Seattle game? where they had him up there and it was not so good. So. No, and he hadn't played a minute. Oh, he played one minute since that game and then he, he started against Cincinnati. Yeah, we'll see what options they have. Uh, Russell Tybert, you know, he he took that knock kind of right before halftime. So I'm wondering how he's doing. Oh, maybe, maybe he can go only a short amount of time or limited minutes. So we'll see how the captain's doing. But a lot of injury questions. We'll have to see uh, what options Vanny wants to there. Do you think we see both Brian White and Cavallini starting or it does feel that no matter who the opposition is, Vanny wants to have one of them on the bench so he's got some impact guy that he can bring off and often it has been working. Uh, Cava and Brian White, they're just too similar. The kind of big guys, big bodies, they get their head and their foot on the ball. You know, they, they don't really distribute or set up guys. Ryan Golden, the homie, they've Kind of found those guys in the box. You know, they, they're in the right spot to smash home the ball. And so I think, you know, having them both out there together and kind of kind of going in the same area. And so it's hard to differentiate what strategy is. I think right now having maybe Calva start and have Brian come in off the bench or vice versa, I think that maybe provides more flow. And we obviously have the opposition tired in the second half. And so... It's great to bring one of them off the bench and just try and get some goals. We saw Brian had those two goals uh, recently in a match. So, uh, yeah, it's a good strategy. We'll see what he wants to do. But I think right now having one come in off the bench is maybe something we might see more going forward. I do wonder if that was why Kava had kind of been on the bench a little bit at the weekend. And I, I would start Kava against Portland. 
I think he's he's the the guy that you want in there. He's the guy that can bring some good hustle and bustle ab- about things. And then, I mean, Brian White isn't the Brian White of last season, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But we saw in the Canadian Championship, he's got that thing about him he can get back. Christian Dahomey, still don't think we're getting the best out of him. And now that he's playing in a bit of a more offensive role, that has helped. That was his first goal since April that he got against Cincinnati. So we need to get Dahomey, especially with Caicedo being out now, he needs to get really fully up to speed. And you want to see the Christian Dahomey that we know what he can do in that attack. I do like the the formation with Vite and Gold sitting behind uh, the main striker because I think they are linking up well and I think Pedro Vite is just going to get better and better. I like to think of having Ryan and Pedro as what I call the biscuit formation because it's it's McVitie's. Again, with Kaba and Brian White, if it's a kind of like an LAFC game where the opposition's trying to wind Kava up or goad him into getting yellow cards... Yeah, that, yeah, there's a motorcycle going by. Come is on. that what that was? We've got yeah. so much ambient noise in the podcast. You've got a, a rampant seagull that seems to be pestering you. And then yeah. I, I sounded like Godzilla was coming to town. We're just trying to keep the listeners away, keep them <laughs> attention here. Um, yeah, Cavallini, if LAFC, tries, LAFC tried to wind him up. So, you know, if, if he gets goaded into a yellow card early, maybe you have to sub him out and put Brian in. But I think Brian's been playing really well lately. He's playing better. He's getting chances. He's creating opportunities for himself and his teammates. You know, he could have easily have a couple more goals in those last few games. So he's coming on really strong. So you've got two strong options uh, up top. Uh, you mentioned Pedro Vite. He's rocking the M&M hair right now. Yeah. Slim, slim Shady out there. Um, he's, he's had a couple of uh, great minutes there in the last few games. He, I believe he got an assist. He set up one of his teammates for a goal. So, you know, I think he'll get more opportunities. Same with Kyle, as long as they're both defensively responsible. Yeah. You, know, you can't just go offense. You've got to help back defensively and track back. So a lot of options there. Ryan Raposo's on the wing. You know, he's been getting a lot of minutes too. He's been helping out. So another player like Tahomey that can contribute offensively, if they can kind of mesh in with Ryan and Pedro and the striker up top. So a lot of options at least going forward, maybe not in the middle and coming back. Yeah. Quick prediction, just to round this off. Do you see the Whitecaps getting anything from this? I think it's I think it's hard. I, I think they'll go down to a, a, maybe a 3-1 defeat. Whenever I say they're going to lose or they're going to get smoked, they get a result. And then when I say they're going to win, they lose and they don't get a result. So I guess I'll go with a 1-1 draw. We'll see. Okay, just sit in the fence there then. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. We'll be back chatting about that in the next show. That is it for our Whitecaps chat, pretty much for this episode. But we've got a lot more football stuff to cover and we're going to turn our attentions to the shambles that is Canada soccer and their arguments with the, the players and all the statements that's been released this week. And we'll be back with that after this. I'm Tristan Blackman, and this is the AFTN Soccer Show. The first news was 
CITR Radio 101.9 FA And kicking off this part I, I thought this was an apt song to go with It's from 2004 It was Pete Doherty's First single post-Libertine split With his new band Baby Shambles That was their eponymous debut single Baby Shambles Mainly because it has the lyrics What a shambles What an effing shambles Because that pretty much sums up What Canada soccer and the CSA seem to be in at the moment. We seem to be living in an era of all the parties in the CSA and the players just going back and forward. One's issuing a statement, the other's issuing a statement. They're all saying we don't want to do this via the media, but statement after statement after statement coming out. And the thing is, for years, Canada soccer, I don't mean the organisation, I just mean like Canadian soccer in general, it's kind of gone under the radar of mainstream media. Things have gone on, and let's be honest, most of the mainstream media haven't really cared about Canadian soccer. But then all of a sudden, the women win gold at the Olympics, the men qualify for the World Cup, Alfonso Davies and other players are sold to Europe and are lighting it up over there. All of a sudden, the mainstream media care about Canadian soccer, and it's in the spotlight. But with that, also means that you're under the microscope and stuff that has maybe gone by in the past and no one's really batted an eyelid at is all now starting to come to light and getting wider attention and getting global attention as well. Whether it's the Bob Barada case and what went on there with the Whitecaps and the CSA to now players refusing to play a friendly against Panama here at BC Place to the... I mean, I keep saying shambles, but it's hard to get to get another word for, for what has been going on just now, Har. It just seems that it's in a mess. There's a lot of dir- dirty laundry getting aired. And we said in the show weeks ago in the Panama thing that there's going to be a lot more coming out. And it's starting to come out now. Rick Westhead has been absolutely fantastic here. He's blown it all open on, on TSN. I mean, we'll get into it as, as best as we can without reading the statements verbatim because they're very long statements. But just off the bat, how would you describe this apart from shambles? Try and, try and get a different word. Um, It's a cluster. You know what? Yes. It's just a berserk circus. It's shambolic. It's a mess. It's a disaster, a train wreck, a roller coaster that is not one you should go on. It's just awful in every degree, but I'm kind of glad that it's all coming to light because you, me, 
other media. We've kind of heard murmurs. We've known things that we obviously can't report. And so I'm glad someone like Rick Westhead has the platform and the ability to shine a spotlight on what's going on behind the scenes and to let the fans know, let the public know, because this has been a long time coming. And I think it needs to be, there needs to be more awareness and people need to be knowing what's going on and how the, the women's players and how the men's players are being treated and you know what they're up against with Canada soccer. And so uh, I'm glad it's being shown more in, a, in what's happening. And obviously winning brings more attention to both uh, the women's and men's national teams. And so I think that's got more media and if, if that's going to happen. It's bound to happen when something grows and something develops and you know, they're doing more and they're getting successful. But it also shows the Canada soccer house not doing very well. You know, it's they need to clean house. They need to get their decks in order. And it's just a catastrophe. It's just ridiculous. And they need to clean house. They all need to go. It needs to be a bigger investigation. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's hard to see heads not rolling for this. Now, they could say some of them have moved on. Former President Steve Reid, for example, he's moved on now. So will they try and pin a lot of the blame onto him or will they they try and find another scapegoat? It, there's so much to, to cover in this. And if you haven't read Rick Westhead's article, go and, go and read it. We, we won't go into it bit by bit, but just, just some things that we will kind of give you the calls notes for. And part of it, and we have talked about it on the show with Stephen Zach before, but it's the first time chatting to you on the show about it. Canadian soccer business and this deal that they've they signed with the, the Canadian Premier League. And I understand why they signed it, because you, you want to, to get the league off the ground and you want to get money put into into the sport here. But just to read a bit from Rick Westhead's piece. In 2019, the fee was $3 million, according to a copy of the contract obtained by TSN, for Canadian soccer business to have the marketing and broadcasting rights for Canadian soccer and the CPL. The, the guarantee climbs each year, topping out at just $3.5 million. So over the 10 years that they've signed the, the contract... It goes just from three to three and a half million, which doesn't seem a big, big increase, especially when you know that Canada's hosting the World Cup in 2026. So there's going to be a lot of eyes on Canadian soccer. Now, the contract was signed by the then Canada soccer president, Steve Reid, and it says that Canadian soccer business has the right to extend the, the deal for the further 10 years. And if it triggers that extension, and it's in their hands to do it, it's in their rights to do it, they have to pay Canada Soccer at least $4 million a year from 2028 to 2037, which seems so low. Now, the flip side of that, if I should, before I get into that, I'll, I'll just continue a little bit, because that means that the money from a newly signed multi-year contract which sources say is worth as much as $5 million a year, all that money goes to Canadian soccer business. Who owns Canadian soccer business? It's the owners of the CPL teams. The Canadian Premier League set up the CSB 
to operate very much like MLS and they, they set up some. And some take control of broadcasting deals. They take control of marketing arrangements. But basically what it means is, with all this interest now in Canadian soccer, the CSA don't get a big bulk of that money. It's going to the CSB and it's going into the pockets of the owners of the Canadian Premier League teams. Now, five current and former board members have said that the CSB deal was not properly approved by Canada Soccer's board. So right away, that raises questions of, well, how did that get through? The board member said that the agreement was only approved subject to the board being provided with details about CSB's finances and ensuring that Canada Soccer had representation on the CSB's board. Those conditions were not met, but yet the deal went ahead. So surely that is a little bit of wriggle room that would let the CSA or Canada Soccer get out of the deal, you would think. But it does raise all these questions, Harris. How was it steamrollered through then if the board didn't approve it? Yeah, that's one of the, the major questions that we all would like to know is how is it approved? Where is the money going? And who is behind the Canadian soccer business? Because from the outside it doesn't feel like it's above board. It feels like something kind of underneath is going on that maybe is a bit sketchy. And so the players obviously should should know more about the finances. And it sounds like they're just getting the, the runaround from all different angles. And so uh, it's disappointing. And I hope there's more reporting from you know Rick Westhead or anyone else that can kind of shed light because it's – it's kind of taking people who were previously with Canada soccer to expose some of what's been going on behind the scenes. So maybe more individuals see the reporting and can come forward and kind of explain, but I think there needs to be a bigger investigation into the finances and who's running it. And, you know, they just uh, announced Earl Cochran as the, yeah. the secretary. They said they did a big wide expansive uh, search, global search. Nobody believes that. Yes, yeah, so, a, a global search to find the guy under their own nose, which, to be fair, a number of organisations have done. The Whitecaps have done that as well with global searches for head coaches, and then it goes to, like, Carol Robinson or Vanni Sartini. Yeah, just top to bottom needs to be a bigger investigation, a bigger look at what's going on, because it's just ridiculous. It's not how they should be running the, the women's team and the men's teams and the overall finances. The players are playing their ass off and they're getting results. They're going to World Cups and, and you know, they should be getting the, the money. They should be getting equal pay. They should be getting everything. And so I think it's it's just really disheartening to see what's going on behind the scenes. And I think more people need to be saying stuff and coming forward and trying to help, you know, fix this if they can. An interesting comparison is what what the players were looking for. Because the figure that's been bandied about is Canada Soccer will get a 10 million payout for being at the World Cup. And the players are wanting 40% paid to them after tax. So that is a big chunk of that. And the way that you can look at that is, well, if it wasn't for the players, they wouldn't be in the World Cup. So they've earned that by getting there. Now, I often look at a lot of similarities between North American soccer and Australian soccer because Australia's got the A-League and it's ran very similarly to MLS. 
you've got no pro rail, you've you've got marketing, you've got franchises as opposed to clubs and and various stuff like that. Now Australia have qualified for the World Cup and they've agreed to give the Australian players 40% after tax of the money that they're getting. Now you would say, well, why would, why would Canada Soccer not do it? The simple thing is, Canada Soccer can't because they've sold their soul to the CSB without looking at the long-term planning. Now, I will play devil's advocate here. I want to read a tweet from my Vancouver 2021, which is 100% accurate, and I do agree with him. He says, please consider this. If this marketing entity was not created, would A... We have pay, been paying, have people paying rights to show the games before this year? Probably not. B, would the CPL owners have had the incentive to lose tons of money to get the league going? Again, probably not. But we were always told that the owners of the CPL had gone into that knowing that they might not make money for five to ten years. So you're thinking, oh, they're being very philanthropic. Maybe not so much because there's this deal that's been in the background for them. And C, would the league have even got off the ground without this potential profit centre? And again, probably not because it hadn't before now. But what I always say is, what is Canada Soccer's mandate? And it's to provide the top playing opportunities for Canadian players in their own country. To have got to 2019 without there being a domestic men's or women's league, is frankly ridiculous even to begin with. It's something that was long overdue. And we still don't have a women's league. And there's all this talk of, oh, it's coming, it's getting closer, it's getting closer. I don't know if we will ever see that. So I do agree with my Vancouver 2021. I don't think the CPL would have started because the owners would not have been prepared to put that money into it. And without having this deal with COVID hitting, the league would probably have folded and it would maybe have been a, a one-and-done season or two-and-done season without this. So I don't fault the CPL owners for signing this. Full credit to them. They're getting their money back. For me, the fault is with Canada Soccer for having that short-term mentality. They basically bet against the the players making the World Cup, it feels like, because they didn't think that they were going to get all this revenue coming in. And now they signed a 10-year deal and they're handcuffed by it, potentially for 20 years. Yeah, they signed, you know, the deal and now, now the teams are successful. You know, they want a piece of the pie and it turns out they already gave the pie away and they can't get the pie back. So it's just awful situation and I fully blame Canada Soccer because they bet against the two programs and now they don't have the money well they say they don't have the money they need to find a better way they need to treat the players on both sides a lot better i can see the points that that tweeter is making there maybe the cpl doesn't get off the ground maybe they struggle a lot more but it's it's not their fault that they were offered that you know deal it's the people who are behind the deal who are pulling the strings and they all need to go yeah, I mean, it needs, I think, to get people's belief and faith back in Canada soccer, there needs to be, apart from more transparency, there needs to be 
a bit of an overhaul. And Toronto Star described Errol Cochran's appointment as basically giving the finger to the players. And the, the players obviously have, have not taken to all of this very well. So many, especially on the female side of the players, were retweeting Rick Westwood's article with like eye emojis and like so many things like that. And Rick Westhead's article it led to the CSA issuing statements and then the players issue statements. And we'll come to that shortly, but there's some other stuff in the in the Westwood, Westhead article that we want to talk about. Uh, one of them was the fact that in 2020, the, the payment that was due by the CSB to Canada Soccer was heavily reduced because the games weren't played due to COVID, so they they lost that aspect there. But then there was another interesting piece in it, nothing to, to do with the CSB har, and it was to do with Rereen Wilkinson, who both you and me think very highly of her, and she's been on the show a, a couple of times, I always love chatting to her, and she spoke when she took over in Portland as did Karina LeBlanc, about having to leave Canada to get these opportunities. And you kind of thought, well, it's because there's no pro team in Canada, and that's why why Rianne had to leave. But then it came out in this article, what she was probably alluding to was the fact that she seemed to have been promised the Canadian national team's job before Bev Priestman. And then when she inquired about previous salaries from the incumbents before that, all of a sudden she didn't get the job and it went to Bev Priestman. Yeah, that on all levels is, you know, it's awful, it's terrible. You should be able to have transparency and to know what the previous coaches had in terms of their salary. You want to make sure that as a female, you have the same opportunity and the same salary as your male counterpart might have. And that she also wanted to know about, you know, staffing hires, would she be able to hire the staff that she wanted in place and so we all just thought that they assumed she didn't have enough coaching experience or maybe that was the reason why she didn't get the job but to, to find out in that story from Rick Westhead that it was a lot more sadly it kind of makes sense when you you know about the CSA that they would try something like this and you know I had heard during the negotiations or when they were looking for a new coach that you know Bev wasn't necessarily on the radar you know, she wasn't in line to maybe get the job. And so when she was named, I was completely surprised. And so I, I didn't think she was going to get the job because obviously she was over in England with the Lionesses. And so, you know, that was a surprise. But now, now we see what happened. They were going to give the job to Rian and then they pulled the rug out and then they got Beth to come in. So uh, it it makes sense. Unfortunately, it shouldn't make sense. It should not happen in 2022 that this takes place and so I'm glad that both of them have a head coaching job now. Yeah because I mean this is no slight on Bev because Bev's an excellent head coach and she's done fantastic with the program. Yeah they got the gold but you can't do these kind of coaching practices because you know it doesn't paint your program in a positive light you know you know coaches aren't going to want to come and apply and other people aren't going to want to be a part of this when they find out what kind of stuff you're running behind the scenes. See, for me, a coach should always be allowed to pick their own coaching staff. And are they going to go and say to John Herdman, no, you can't have who you want as your assistant? Of course they're not. So she just wanted equality in that, and rightly so. But, I mean, it's the, it's the CSA's loss if she leaves 
the programme and doesn't get involved because Beth Priestman's going to be in high demand and is going to move on sooner rather than later to possibly big bucks, maybe back at club level, maybe back internationally because her stock is so high just now. Yeah, they're so, going to have to give her maybe a big raise when her contract is done. Well, unfortunately, but unfortunately, they no have money. all their money time. <laughs> no money. Because cause remember, Har, if they give the men's players what they want, they'll have no money for futsal and beach soccer and coaching development and referee development. And they'll still have enough money to pay all the, the Blazers and the, the bigwigs at the CSA, though, of course, because they, they always find, find money for yeah, that. Yeah, you've got to have that done. Yeah, that, that's always important. And how many ever comms people that they have as well. One thing the CSA said that they would do when all this started in, in June was they were going to be more transparent with media and fans and everybody and issue more statements. And I can't knock them for that because they should be doing that and good on them for doing that. This week, they've certainly been busy. You can knock busy. the statements though. The well, statements yeah, are terrible. You, you can knock what's in them, but you can't knock the fact that they're issuing the statements because they've gone into overdrive this week and it's statement from this group. Statement back, another statement coming out. So on Tuesday... In response, clearly, to Rick Westhead's article, without ever mentioning Rick Westhead's article in the statement, the, the CSA put out their, their next regular thing, as if it was just a, a planned thing that we're going to do, releasing, releasing regular updates. And I'll paraphrase a lot of this and just summarise it, because there is, it's another, another long update to media fans and all Canadians, they, they said. So... Everyone in Canada, this one went out to, alongside partners and supporters. They said that Canada soccer has experienced tremendous growth and unparalleled success in the past 10 years. Basically saying, thanks to their ambitious plan to get Canada soccer to where it is just now. Sort of completely ignoring that there wasn't a lot of success for maybe the first six or seven years of those 10 years, but they did sow the seeds, so we will say that. So then the statement goes on to talk about all the successes that, that Canada Soccer has had. Then it talks about the Canada Soccer business deal that was signed in March 2018, that 10-year agreement, which they just said is a, a landmark partnership that they are very proud of to provide sustainable funding in the organisation. Now, I do agree with that. They signed a deal that guaranteed that they were getting regular money in. I still feel that they signed a deal that was way too too long. You look at the deals that MLS have signed and some have signed in terms of broadcasting and stuff. They wouldn't sign a 10-year a, a deal at that point. Yeah, they've just signed a, a big lucrative deal with Apple, but it's because of the growth that they got from other deals that they've had more people interested in it. Anyway, I'm getting slightly sidetracked here. So they said... We're proud of this landmark partnership, which has provided sustainable funding to the organisation to fulfil its strategic priorities with a growing stable of corporate partners that will help to develop and grow the game of soccer across the country. The only thing is a lot of those corporate partnerships, the money is going to CSB. In turn, the CPL has been able to attract new investors for growth, including another landmark investment by Atletico Madrid in March 2020. The growth of the league continues with a new club schedule to play here in the Lower Mainland next year. 
And they've just talked about success and the growing players that are coming through and success in CONCACAF competitions. Then they, they went on to talk about Bev Priestman and that she's been a good appointment. And then pursuit of a feasibility study with the city of Vaughan uh, for a, a national training centre there. And then they talk about the World Cup money. And they say it's important to clarify that the CSB agreement and negotiations of FIFA World Cup prize money are independent and have no bearing on each other. So then you would be asking, well, why can't they give the, the players what they're asking for, for their work that has reached the World Cup? But again, they're going back to saying that if they do that, they can't afford all these other programmes. But the reason they can't afford that is because they're not getting money from elsewhere in marketing because they've signed the CSB deal. There's something in that statement. Uh, you obviously didn't read it. I didn't read it. And it's because it's not there. No mention of hosting the 2015 Women's World Cup. You want to throw in all these accolades, all these accomplishments that both programs have done. You can't even mention, you know, the Women's World Cup hosting it right down the street. BC Place was the final. I think this kind of goes to show the greater mindset of how the women's program is treated and maybe how it is below the, the men's program, at least, you know, getting to the World Cup for the first time in 36 years, monumental, fantastic. But the women's team has been kicking ass for a long time now. And it seems like they're an afterthought. They're second in spending. And, you know, they're in terms of equal pay, it seems like, you know, it's the men first and then maybe the women's team. So yep. not mentioning hosting the 2015 World Cup, I feel like that just shows their true colors. Yeah, it was strange, but you look at that and it was a success. You can't say it wasn't a success, but the legacy hasn't been, I think, what anyone thought. Because you host a World Cup and coming out of that, you still don't have a women's league. You win an Olympic gold medal and coming out of that, you still don't have a women's league. So I don't know what it's going to take to get things off the ground. And folk will point to funding. And when I've raised this before on Twitter, it's like, well, who's going to put money into it? Who's going to lose money? And I do get that part of it because it is going to be hard to make money in the women's game. That is why so many women's leagues have folded over the years. Let's be honest. But then you look at the numbers that the NWSL draws down in the US and in a number of occasions, it outperforms the, the MLS games that's shown. So it's kind of like Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. And it's like the CPL. Folks said, oh, it'll never work because of the, the travel and, and stuff. It has worked. But then folks will say it's worked because the owners are only making money through this CSB deal. It's a giant mess. I feel like, you know, just getting a team... In Canada would be a great start, you know, an NWSL team. There's three MLS clubs. I would love for all three of them to have a, an NWSL team. At least that's a start. That's, that's a place for players to go and play. But it feels like to me, there's maybe a wait and see for a knight in shining armor to come through on a horse with yeah. money to invest and throw it and maybe float the whole bill. But you're not going to get that. You need to have a partnership between the Canada Soccer Association, between, you know, the municipality, the stadium, the owners, the, uh, you know, the big, the, maybe the big finances, big business businesses. You can't all put it on one thing. 
it's got to be a partnership working together. And when you read Rick Westhead's story, you think anyone's going to want to work with Canada soccer and behind the scenes when you have this going on and not to mention the abuse scandals that are happening too? No, well, no well, that, that's the thing. I mean, you talk about the, the three MLS teams. I mean, the Whitecaps is clearly tainted now on the women's side. Uh, Montreal have never really shown any interest in, in having a women's team. So, I mean, does that leave TFC to to come in with a, a team? You would maybe hope so. But, like, for all the criticism Greg Kerfoot gets for maybe not investing more in the Whitecaps MLS side... He heavily invested in the women's game in Canada 20-odd years ago when no one else would. And he put that money into the Whitecaps programme. And is that what they're waiting for? Are they waiting for another Greg Kerfoot to come along? How many philanthropic people are out there that's going to put that money in? Because it is going to be a losing entity in the early years. I, I don't think anyone that says it's not and they're going to make money and the, the, the fans will turn up, there's not a guarantee of that. Because you look at the CPL and you look at the crowds and I know COVID's hit it and it's hit the the league's growth to a big extent, but the crowds aren't there for CPL. A lot of the teams are struggling to draw numbers and I genuinely don't know that the numbers are there to get out and support a, a, a women's league. I'd love to see it. You'd love to see it. There's a need for it. The... There's more than a need for it. it. There should be a women's league. I've been covering League One BC this year and the quality and the young talent that is coming through all these teams is phenomenal. And these these women need and deserve a place to go and grow. But if you're only going to have the league based on success of people coming through the gate, I don't know that you get that. So you do need funding behind it. But where does that funding come from? And if CSA have signed away all the marketing rights and broadcasting rights. I don't know where this funding comes from now. Yeah, somebody with big pockets or a lot of money, maybe the Magic Tooth Fairy with a bankroll, I don't know. Someone's got to... a lot of teeth. Yeah. But the, the players, obviously, not happy with any of this. I, I don't think we'll see the women go on strike and not play the final of the CONCACAF Championship. That would just be shooting themselves in the foot. But the, the players did issue a statement uh, in reply to the CSA statement and the Westhead article, which again, I, I won't read in full, but some key points from it. They say the sport is at a critical moment in Canada. And it is. Because both teams have qualified for the World Cup. Parents and children across the country are embracing the sport l like never before. And they're being inspired and they're being inspired to play the game and they want to play the game. And they say the future of the national teams, which depends on robust youth and developmental talent pipelines, is looking brighter than ever. And it is. On the women's side, I've been watching a big core of this under-17 women's team that's going to be at the World Cup in India play for the Whitecaps this year. So much talent coming through. The under-20s is stacked with talent. So the women's side in particular has definitely got this pipeline coming through and nowhere really for them to play. And... They said that Rick Westhead's article raises serious concerns about whether Canada soccer can be a proper steward of our sport and the revenues associated with the women's and men's national teams under the current leadership and government structure. It also raises serious concerns that the sponsorship and broadcast revenues associated with the national teams for the next 15 years 
important future revenue streams that are growing as a result of the player's success, they're being transferred to owners of a for-profit professional men's league and used instead for their benefit and not the player's benefit. And you can't argue with any of that. That is 100% factually correct. They said, as a united group of Canadian national team players, we seek full transparency from Canada Soccer. We call for an investigation by Sport Canada of Canada Soccer's governance practices and of the circumstances by which Canada Soccer entered into this agreement with the CSB. And it must include a closer look at the motivation of those who are said to have entered into this agreement without following basic standard of proper government governance and why the agreement was allowed to remain in place if concerns were expressed by the board. And I think this is the, the get-out clause that they're going to have here. If it hadn't gone fully, properly approved by the board, I think they can cancel the agreement. Obviously, I'm not a lawyer, but from what I'm reading, I can't see how it can stay in place if the board haven't approved it. And if the board are speaking out now, you've got to ask why it was approved, who approved it, and heads after all. And if Sport Canada get involved, you need a full investigation. And that's going to take a lot of time. So this is going to carry on, I, I fear, for months going into possibly over a year. Yeah, I shouldn't take pressure from both women's and men's teams to maybe try and void the contract. It should have been gone. It shouldn't have even been approved. It should have not have been in place. But Sometimes it takes a story coming out and people putting pressure on an organization for them to do the right thing. So hopefully that's what happens. I feel like there's going to be more stories or more that we learn from all of this. But yeah, it's just uh, a mountain of bad, crumbling, faulty rocks. It's just bad. It's not good at all. I mean, we didn't know how much we were going to speak about this today. We just we just put in the thing. We'll, we'll chat about this. And obviously we have, we've gone into it in a, possibly a, a lot more... Well, I have a lot to say, Michael. I'm a bit fired up. Well, it's good. It's like, these are the conversations that need to be had, not just by podcasts, because like we're preaching to the converted here, let's be honest. Folk that listen to a podcast like this or read your stuff or read my stuff, they're true soccer fans. They know what's going on. This needs to get out to the mainstream media. It needs to get talked about more. It needs to get talked about at high level. If it needs government involvement, Sport Canada involvement, this is what has to, to happen. And Look what happened to uh, Hockey Canada. You had all those yes. sponsorships pull out after the mishandling of the, you know, assault, sexual assault. So maybe that can happen with Canada Soccer. Maybe, you know, maybe we can get more eyes, maybe CTV, CBC, the global, maybe they can do stories on it or something because we know, soccer people, we know, but the general public that maybe just goes to a game here or a game there, they don't know and I think they should be informed because they're obviously, they're spending their money on scarves and jerseys and tickets and whatnot. Well, when they can get the jerseys because there's there's been folks struggling to get that as well. You think, oh, Maybe we, you could send a good marketing deal to get some new jerseys out or something, but... No, I mean, that's tied up. This, the statement is true. This is a critical time for Canadian soccer because all eyes are in Canada. I've got my friends in Scotland talking about Canadian players and the Canadian team, and they're, they're starting to notice there's articles in, in UK soccer magazines about the growth of Canadian soccer. Folk in Scotland are pointing to Canada and say, 
this is what we need to do to resurrect our our system and get the young players coming through. And with the World Cup coming here, it's such an opportunity for the sport to become stratospheric. And one other bit of the players' statement that says, Canada soccer does not acknowledge any problems with its governance or leadership. It also does not commit to addressing any of the problems identified in the article. It kind of felt that when the strike thing was going on, that they hoped it was all going to blow over. And we spoke in the show that that was just an absolute bomb scare from Nick Bontis at that press conference. And Canada soccer haven't covered themselves in one inch of glory. They have to open the books. That's what the players want. They want transparency. They want to immediately open the books and records and address the the lack of transparency going forward. And they want Sport Canada to look at this how do you fix it? For me, it has to be a complete overhaul. It's got to be new people involved. And I want ex-players heavily involved. I don't want these business people. I want ex-players. Now, you obviously need to have some business people that know how to run a business because some of the players that we've dealt with, I, I wouldn't put in charge of, of my business. But you do want them to have a big, heavy input into it. And I, I don't know that it's a simple it's as simple as an overhaul because that's going to take years and we don't have years to fix this. So maybe they can start with some smaller steps and make a, f- a few changes here and there and then maybe make bigger changes because, yeah, you can't overhaul the entire system or the entire CSA as much as we would like to see that. And that's the quick reactionary opinion by a lot of people. But you still have to have steps in place to get, you know, players to games and have everything running as it is as best you can so someone needs to step forward and and take the blame and take the hit for everything that's going on and at least try to move forward and acknowledge what's been going on but they don't even seem to be doing that or kind of admitting or showing that we screwed up you know they're not even doing that so how do you do how do you move forward when you can't even say we did something we that was not good yeah, because you can't sit down with anyone to talk about it because they don't think they've done anything wrong and they don't want to talk about it. They're certainly probably not going to sit down with Rick Westhead. They're going to probably go on one soccer and try and use that as their mouthpiece because that it's more favourable to them because they know if they speak to media, they're going to get grilled and they're going to get crucified and they're going to get taken to pieces. But this is going to roll on for months and months to come, sadly, I, I, I fear. I know we maybe went a little bit rambling on and off tangents at bits there, but as Har said, it's something that fires us up and it's something that's very important. So let us know your thoughts. You can always get in touch on Twitter at AFT in Canada or send us an email AFT in Canada at hotmail.com. Get in touch with Har, of course, on Twitter at Har Journalist. We'll move on now to the final part of our show. We're going to turn our attention to partly something we were talking about there, the, the women's game. And we'll look to see how the Canadian women's national team have been, again, performing very well. And we'll chat a little bit about League One BC as well. And we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Gold, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part is our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of July. From Brighton, England, 80s Matchbox Beeline Disaster, with a, a single taken from their second album, released in 2004, called The Royal Society. Reached number 35 in the charts in the UK, that was I Could Be an Angle. And a line in that song is, you are the queen of my world. And of course, who is the queen in the world of Canadian soccer? Christine Sinclair. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Canadian women's national team in this part, because they've got a final coming up. They've reached the final. They're taking on the US. The winner of that books a berth to the Olympics in Paris in 2024. The, the women's national team have already booked their spot down under at the, the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand in 2023. We, we won't get into all the ins and outs of the, the group games uh, and everything like that, but Har, great performance from the women so far. I think everyone expected it was going to be a, a Canada-US final, but how have you feel the team have performed so far? Who have been the standout performers for you? Yeah, they've performed uh, really well in, in the group stage. They got the job done, qualified for the World Cup uh, in Australia and New Zealand, as you mentioned. And then, you know, they had that the big game against Jamaica. You know, it was not a Jamaica team that we've seen previously. Against Canada, they had won 9-0, and so this was a lot closer. It was tighter, but again, you know, they got the win, and that's the most important part. Yeah, they, they beat them off their own accord. Yes, they did. Um they're known for, you know, great defense, stellar defense, you know, shutting down the opposition's biggest threat, a wall, Kaylin Sheridan, obviously the number one goalkeeper now. And so they're scoring just enough goals to get by, to advance. And so it's kind of the same Canada that the fans and everyone saw at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. And so, you know, they're going to play great defense. They're going to get those key goals penalties or a free kick or off the run. It's pretty much the same starting 11 that we saw at the Olympics. You've got the 4-3-3, you've got Quinn, Scott, Fleming in midfield, and then Christine, Janine, and Michelle Prince up top, and then Kadisha and Vanessa Giles as the anchors in the middle of the back line, and then Lawrence and Jade Revere uh, on the flank. So it's uh, Canada, a team that we know and that we're accustomed to now, and as they get set to play the U.S. on Monday night, oh, that's going to be a cracker. It's going to be a barn burner. You can be best assured the Americans have had this game written down. You know, oh, they, they want revenge. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna want revenge. They're going to want to run Canada off the pitch. And again, it's going to come down to Canada's composure. Can they maintain their strong defense? Can they shut down the likes of, you know, Alex Morgan's been on fire lately. And so... She's she's their key player. She's in form, and so they got to shut her down. They know Alex Morgan. You know they play with her in the NWSL and against her. So the Americans against Canada, whether it's hockey, whether it's uh, another sport, basketball or soccer, it's always a fierce competition. And you know they want bragging rights because they go back to their club teams and they play on teams with them. So it's just a great game. The country we all watch, we all tune in. We're all fans and. Anytime you beat the U.S., you want it's it's just great. It's it's almost like winning a tournament. That's obviously what they're playing for to qualify for the 
Paris Olympics in 2024. And it's also the Gold Cup. There's a Gold Cup spot on the line for the winner of this tournament. And so that's important to just now let's look maybe on the other side. Let's say Canada is unable to beat the U.S. So then they would go to play um, Costa Rica or Jamaica, whoever wins that game in the runner up. And that's not till September 2023. Oh, wow. That they, they wait that long to play it. And of course, they've beaten both the teams in the competition. So, I mean, it doesn't hold a, a lot of fear. It's, I don't understand why they're doing it. I don't know why they didn't just make the top two teams go through. It just seems weird. Uh, maybe they want to add, provide more drama, more excitement. Oh, probably. Maybe pro- make, make some pro- money. Prolong it more, you know, have some more podcasts talking about it. Uh, but again, it's not till 2024. So the focus will be yeah. on the World Cup. We've got four teams from CONCACAF. Going, uh, Jamaica's going, Costa Rica, Canada, and the US, Mexico, man. They hosted the yes. tournament and they fell flat on their faces. Let's talk about that quickly. No bueno. We, no we bueno. touched on that last week's show because that defeat they had to Jamaica in the opening game, he said, Oh, they're in trouble here, and they are. And I saw, I can't remember who it was, but a Mexican journalist was like, Don't give up on this women's team, don't give up on the women's program. Because the, the danger is for countries like that. If they don't qualify, it can go one of two ways. They put more money into it to make sure that they do qualify the next time and improve the programme, or they think, ah, let's not bother. And then the programme gets worse. But, I mean, you're just so used to seeing Mexico at, at these tournaments that it's a massive shock. Can they recover from this? Do you think they'll put the funding into it? Because, I mean, you spoke in the last part that in Canada, despite the success the women's team feels like kind of second rate to, to everything else and just an afterthought. It's always felt like that in Mexico. No, I think they'll put the funding in. I think they will keep promoting the sport. They'll keep growing it. You know, one thing they have, they have a women's league in Mexico. We don't have one in Canada. And so they've invested in their That's league true. in Mexico. And, you know, football is life in Mexico, that, that common phrase. And so people eat, uh, live, sleep, breathe football down there. So I think they'll use these next four years as an opportunity to develop and get their, their country stronger for the next round of qualification. But yeah, it's a blow. You're like Mexico, not at a World Cup. We don't really uh, see it. Dios meals. Yeah. Um, w- one of the Canadian players that's had a, a really good tournament, bit of a breakout, Julia Grosso. We obviously have seen her come through the ranks of the Whitecaps, played a little bit with TSS Rovers as well, local girl. It's, it's been great to see her get on the score sheet. Yeah, she's playing over in Italy with Juventus, and she she scored three goals in the first three group stage games, and she didn't even play in the last one. She came off the bench in both games, and so she's been like a spark plug. She's been a great energizer, and people have been saying, you know, when is Julia Grosso going to start? Why isn't she starting these games? And I think it's more so the, the the midfield and how Bev has it formed and kind of want to go with Quinn, with Fleming, with Scott. But being able to bring Julia Grosso off the bench to deliver, I mean, it's a great weapon. It's a great uh, opportunity for her. And so I, I see her developing even further with the national team going forward, and especially playing at a club like Juventus. Man, that's a huge oh, opportunity yeah. for her. We thought that with Jordan Hutema, it didn't quite work out for her at PSG, and she's come back over here. For for Julia, things seem very bright, and she could be one of the next big big stars of of world women's soccer. So I mean, that's great to see. 
Any concerns with the team just now? Anything that you don't feel is clicking or any areas of the team that you think they need to try and find the the, the next yeah. big star yeah. for? It's still scoring. Scoring for me, it's still the Achilles heel. It's still the big challenge for Canada. You know, they create a lot of chances. They certainly have the possession and they create chances, but they're not, you know, they should be beating these teams by four or five, six goals maybe, but they're just not able to do that, at least in this tournament we've seen so far. But second half, like a Whitecaps game is when they, they start to play better and they break teams down. I don't know if they're tired and that's why, but scoring goals is the, is a big, huge challenge for Canada. You know, in, in CONCACAF, it's not a huge problem because you're playing CONCACAF teams, but as you get to the World Cup and the Olympics, you're playing the best of the best in the world. And so you need to be able to score goals just as well as you defend. So you know, Christine's going to be turning 40 during the next uh, Olympic, no, next World Cup down under. So she can't play forever as much as we would like to have Christine play forever. Uh, she can. So we'll have to see uh, how they contribute and how they can get the goals. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine Canadian teams without Atiba Hutchison and Christine Sinclair. It's going to be so weird seeing teams without them. Uh, last thing on this, what's your thoughts on, on Bev Priestman? Obviously, she's won that Olympic gold. We touched on it in the, in the last part that her stock's very high just now. How how have you seen her as a, a coach in this competition? Yeah, Bev's been wonderful. She's a, a breath of fresh air. Everyone loves talking to Brad. She's fantastic. She's got the tactics spot on. She knows what the strengths are of this team and how to get the best out of the players. You know, they love playing for her. They love competing for her. The practices are, are good. They're hard work. They're, they're eventful. And Bev's just been fantastic. And she's kind of what they needed with, you know, John, Kenneth heiner Moller. She knows the team. She coached so many of the players as an assistant and as a, a 20 coach as well. So she knows a lot of the players. She knows the strength. It was a great hire. I'm not saying that Rian would not have been a great hire. She would have been great as well, but it's good to have, I think it's good to have a female coach coaching the women's team finally. And so I think Bev's been uh, a fantastic coach and I expect the team to continue to trend upwards and getting results and kicking ass on the pitch. Yeah, I think we'll all be looking forward to that game on Monday. Canada against the US. It's a lot on the line. Both teams certainly going to be up for it. Should be an absolute cracker of a match. And I mean, you mentioned there, Har, about women's coaches. And that is one thing that Canada really needs to work on is getting more women's coaches, their development in the game and, and bringing them on. And that's why League One BC is a fantastic opportunity here. And you've got League One Ontario and the PLSQ and the, the college game as well. And I, as I've mentioned several times, AFTN are the broadcasting partner for four of the, the League One BC sides for this inaugural season. TSS Rovers, Whitecaps, Altitude FC and Varsity FC. And we've really enjoyed our coverage of the game so far. If you're not a subscriber to our extra podcasts, well, you should remedy that. $3 a month, $30 a year. Check AFTN.ca for all the details on that. But on Monday, we brought out our League One BC special episode, just chatting about the season so far and a few interviews in there. So on the men's side, the championship game is all set. It's going to be between Varsity and TSS Rovers on BC Day, August 1st. 
It's going to be a cracker to crown the very first men's League One BC champions. On the women's side, it's been an absolutely fantastic season so far. And Varsity FC have booked their place in the final as well on BC Day. But it's a three-horse race, a big battle between the Whitecaps, TSS Rovers and Unity FC to claim that second spot in the final and take on Varsity. And it's very tight at the top. In second place just now, with one game to go, the Whitecaps are sitting on 22 points. Point behind them, with one game to go, TSS Rovers. And on 18 points, with two games to go, is Unity FC. So any one of those three teams can book their, their spot in the final. Right now, it's all in the Whitecaps' hands. They control their own fate. If they go out and beat Rivers FC in their final match a week on Friday, July 22nd, they will be booking their spot against Varsity in the championship game. TSS, they've got one game to go. If they win that, and the, the Whitecaps slip up at all, then TSS are in pole position. But if Unity FC win both their two games and the Whitecaps don't get a win against Rivers, they will likely hold the tiebreaker and get into the final as well. So great action. If you haven't been following the, the season, you really have missed out. Some great talent that we've seen on the women's side in League One BC. And big game on Wednesday night between TSS Rovers and the Whitecaps at Swan Guard Stadium. If the Whitecaps had won that, they had already booked their spot with a game to go. TSS needed to win. It was a must-win game for them. And they came away with a 2-0 win. Bella Rock put them ahead in the 32nd minute and then Claire Yee with an absolutely spectacular goal, a long-range lob that nestled into the far top corner three minutes into the second half, gave TSS... A big 2-0 win over the Whitecaps, moving them to within a point of them in third spot. TSS has a, I say, battling for that. The Whitecaps holding on to the second place just now. After the game, with everything still to play for, I got a chance to speak to both head coaches. So we're going to hear first from a very jubilant Chelsea Hannison. Then we're going to hear from the Whitecaps' Katie Collar, who knows that her team's championship fate still lies in their own hands. So, absolutely fantastic win for you. It was a must-win game. Your last two games are must-win. You must have been delighted by the, the response you got on Sunday and also tonight as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny how <laughs> I think I should have started the whole season with this mentality of everything's a must-win uh, because <laughs> the second we started to, to apply that, that pressure or even just have those conversations in the, in the locker room, um, they started to believe in themselves a little bit more. And you can see it in the, the first five minutes. And then uh, to have control over a game like that, they're capable of doing this. And it shouldn't take a must-win game to show that. Um, but the message today was you are great. People know you're great. But the expectation needs to even be higher. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously there's pressure on you. But at the same time, it's not in your own hands. So you can win your last two games and still not make it. Does that make it a little bit easy? You can go out there and play a little bit freer? Yeah, I think, um, to be fair, I'm not sure if the, the players fully know that. Um, but, <laughs> but to be honest, um, I think that having just this mindset of, of understanding how close we really are um, and being that close to getting into the top two is, is lighting a bit of a fire in them. And, you know, if we can continue to build off of that and use that to our advantage, um, then we're going to continue to use that. 
you've obviously lost some key players away back to college. Is there any hope of getting them back if you get to the championship game or is that ship sailed? There's a few that um, have been in conversation, but to be honest, looking at the the players that have been getting more and more minutes as these key players have left, they've stepped up. And, you know, to be quite frank, even if um, a lot of those players were to say, hey, yeah, we're, we're available, um, we've got options either way. The depth is slowly starting to get stronger and stronger within this group. Um, and those players that have been itching for those minutes all season long, who are starting to see those minutes, they're, they're proving to fit right in and mesh well with the group and continue to play our style and um, so either way you know if we get them or we don't um, I, I'm confident in every single one of them. So it's a tough one tonight in the back of that varsity game but your fate's still in your own hands is that just a message to the girls just now? Yeah I think the biggest thing for us is figuring out how to win without some of our ones that we've lost and uh, at the end of the day we still have good pieces and I think all of the games that we've lost recently don't necessarily reflect the scoreline based on how the girls have played and fought till the end. So good things to take out of this one, fought all the way to the end. Uh, I think, you know, in moments we look like the better team, even as a young group. So I would say is putting a, a full game together will be key for us. And that'll be the messaging to them. Yeah, I, I mean, the game on Sunday, it wasn't a 4-1 game at all. And it, it seems teams are maybe thinking it's a younger team if we get a little bit physical against you we've got that advantage that's hard to play against obviously but you're going to have to find a way to to deal with that I guess. Yeah absolutely I think uh, at the end of the day it's about learning for these kids it's about growth Uh, a lot of them are going to be in the 17s going to a world cup some of them are going to be in the 15s at the end of the month Uh, so really I think for us is focusing on teaching them how to play against teams that are going to cater towards some of the things that we may need to grow in uh, and it's a good challenge. It's a good challenge for them. And I, you know, I said it at the beginning of the season. I think they're still up to the challenge. It's just about us getting it right. Great stuff there from Chelsea Hannison and Katie Collar, two of the female coaches in League One BC, and they've done really well with their sides this year. And two great coaching prospects as well. I think both of them are are going to get very heavily involved in the the club and national game as well with Canada and as I said if you haven't had a chance to check out the action in League 1 BC you really really should even if you just get along to the championship game on August 1st you're going to see a great team you're going to see some good players and a lot of really good young talent out there in BC and throughout Canada in the women's game just give them a place to play and you'll see them really fulfill their potential so that is pretty much it for this episode of the AFT and Soccer Show Of course, we can't go without bringing you this episode's wavelength. And I mentioned last time that for July, I was going to have a month where it was all going to be themed songs all about footballers. Well, I've already thrown that out the window. We'll maybe get to that next month because thanks to a long-time listener, Angus Walker, who switched me on to this fantastic song, in this part, we've been talking a lot about women's soccer. The CONCACAF Women's Championship's on just now. The Euros... Is on just now over in England. So I thought, why not play a song about women's soccer? And as I say, thanks to Angus Walker for switching me on to this. A four-piece all-girl punk band out of Manchester called Loose Articles. And they actually released this song last year and it, it didn't really get much airplay. They re-released it in June this year, ahead of the Euros. And it's got a bit of traction and the band's got a lot of attention for it as well. They're called Loose Articles, 
And this is their single, Kick Like a Girl. Half-time commentary short, but I do have a special announcement. Into your narrow-minded men in my surprise. Try to say this polite that women can play sports. We can kick a ball with some force. Now stop it with your insults. When we play, we get good results. We're forces to be reckoned with. Girls can play, it's just a myth. We can blast the ball at the back of the net. Now stop it with this mindset. Girls and guys can do the same. Now let's get back to the game. Manchester punk band, loose articles there, kick like a girl, fantastic song, there's been some great action in the Euros, there's been some great action in the CONCACAF Women's Championship, there's been great action in League 1 BC. The future of women's soccer here in Canada and around the world is looking very bright indeed. And of course, hard journalist Harjit Jahal has been a long time coverage of the game, been delighted to have her on the show the last two weeks. I know you guys have enjoyed having her on the show as well. So, Har, let everyone know where they can find your stuff online. They can find me on Twitter at HarJournalist. You can holler. Maybe I'll holler back. Maybe I won't. You can read my stuff at Daily Hive, Whitecap stuff, and my women's soccer coverage at Equalizer. We'll be having something up uh, ahead of that big game against the U.S. And so, yeah, thank you for the support. Thank you for all the wonderful comments. And thank you for reading and listening to the podcast. Uh, Cheers. And thank you for joining us on the show again this week, Har. And thank you to the Seagull for the unplanned appearance throughout this episode. We hope you enjoyed the little bit of background noise. I always like to kind of have these little ambient sounds in the background. We used to do that a lot way back in the early days of the podcast when we recorded in a, a number of different areas. But I am Michael McCall. Thank you for listening to this episode and supporting the AFT and Soccer Show. You can find all our stuff 
aftn.ca. Give me a follow on Twitter at AFTN Canada and a like, subscribe, turn on notifications, all of that stuff on YouTube, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. We will be back with another episode soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Mon the caps and Ali La Rouge. <laughs>